Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. With me today is uh, Raisa, as always, and we're going to be talking about um, the recent ending of the Crisis on Infinite Earths um, in in the Arrowverse. Um, we're also going to be talking about the new series of Doctor Who, Vosfa, and um, as Star Trek Picard premiered its first episode late last week, we're going to be talking about that as well. So, um, so without further ado, let's get to it. So, um, Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, overall, I really enjoyed it. What do you think? Overall, I, I really enjoyed it, too, although um, as brilliant as it was, I'm ready for smaller crossovers now. Yeah. And I don't think we're gonna get. I don't think we're gonna get another crossover quite that big, to be honest. It's. Um, I mean, that was five episodes, and um, it, un- unusually, it ended after Christmas. Um, whereas all the ones have ended before Christmas, sort of thing, as a, yeah. as, a sort of, as, as a prelude. But uh, I liked it. I, I liked the fact that we uh, got to see the uh, Birds of Prey cast from the. Um, well, we got to see one of the cast um, in in, from, in, in uh, yeah from, you know, from the original in yeah. the form of, in the form of Ashley Scott. Um, yes. Um, and um, we got the voice of Diana Mayer, um over yes. the um, over the over the voiceover bit. Yeah. Um, we've got to see um we've got to see people from we've got to see the people from Titans and um and and um and Doom Patrol as well. And Doom Patrol and they actually got cinematic flash in the part four or five, I can't remember which, but they, it, they actually worked that out. That was part four. Now I'm thinking if they've worked that out, why can they not work out um, say using Batman for a TV series character or Batman villains for a TV series characters and stuff like that. Why do they have to have different actors um, across things? You know, now that everything is sort of like supposedly in Prime Universe, maybe mm-hmm. they should just stick with that. Yeah, what I what I found interesting is when I when I when I read up on on that particular crossover, um, the cinematic folks came to Berlanti and asked him if they could insert. I blanked on his name now. They they asked to insert him at the last minute. They'd already wrapped, and they asked uh, asked if they could uh, unwrap to um, to get him in there, and they agreed to do it. So they that was an insert scene, and the fact that it was an insert scene is very telling. I think that they realize that they are um, fighting an uphill battle with the cinematic universe. Because with the exception of uh, Wonder Woman and Aquaman, to a lesser extent, uh, the, the DC cinematic end is not doing mm. as well. 
Okay, uh, the name of the actor was Ezra Miller. That was and, it. Uh, that was, that was, it, was like, that was not a name I was going to be able to come up with. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like, I knew, I knew the surname was something like Miller, but I wasn't sure about the spelling, and it's just it was just the first name I was blanking on. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I think they are fighting an uphill battle with it. You just cross them over, cross everything over. You know? I mean, the the, uh, <clears throat> the cinematic universe, the Flash movie, they're coming up with for the cinematic universe, do you know what they're doing? Uh, no, no, I don't. Flashpoint, again. Mm. Yeah. Much trouble, I think. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm having a Yoda moment. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, to be honest, um, I'm not sure they'll be able to do that much better in the cinematic <laughs> universe than they've already done it. I mean, uh, visually... Sure, yeah. Uh, but as far as uh, the narrative storytelling, the acting and, and, and the character beats and, and stuff yeah. like that, maybe not. No, I mean, between, between the TV adaptation and the fact that the DCU animated has already done a fairly faithful adaptation of the comic for their animated things, it's been covered. Yeah, I mean, may, maybe they uh, maybe they need to try and cover something else, uh, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean... I'd love to see a bigger version, you know, a big screen version of the um, of 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 Crisis on on a on on Earth Earthettes, you know, the one with the Nazi Supergirl. That would that would be cool. That would be cool. You know, I'd love to see a more cinematic version of that because uh, that was only a free parter, I think, um, uh-huh. between Flash Legends and Arrow. Um, but to get back to get back to the crossover, it, the five the fact there was a five part event basically killed everyone because that you know that scene. I was listening to a podcast where Stephen Amell was being uh, interviewed by um, Michael Rosenbaum. Michael Rosenbaum has a podcast, and Stephen Amell said that his first death scene, not the second one where he dies at the end, but the first death scene where he, that he dies in the uh, the first episode, mm-hmm. there there was nobody there for him to film that. He was talking to a tennis ball oh, because man. their 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 schedules were so insane between their individual shows and the crossover that by the time he was filming that he was talking to a tennis ball yeah I mean, so he's probably holding the tennis ball up joking around saying and that's poor yorick i knew him ratio he was actually he? heading into an anxiety attack because one of the things that happened in, on, that, on that podcast is he literally had an anxiety attack on the podcast and had to cut it short and the Damn. podcast was in two parts um, he, Stephen Amell has been having some health issues lately. Um, Arrow <clears throat> drove drove him into the ground, and he's coming out the other side of it. But it was he he he's, hasn't been well. Yeah, I can, I can see I can see that show doing that to someone because uh, not only you got the brutality of the physicality of it, um, you've also got the uh, the the very hectic filming schedules. Um, you know, uh, much of the time you're probably ra- you're probably acting against blue screens with uh, how anyone else there yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So I, c- I can see I can see that actually, you know, getting to someone after a while, especially after what what is it now? Eight years. He's Eight been doing years. That. And he and he he basically just he basically just ran ran into the ground and mm. he's 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 recovering, but he needed he needed to decompress and he didn't have adequate decompression. So. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of one of the reasons I, um, you know, as you know, I I actually trained as an actor, um, yeah, years yeah. and years and years ago, and one of the reasons I didn't go into it was because, um, you know, I I was sort of like uh, having difficult. It was at a time in my life where I was trying trying to ha- trying to find myself, 
and uh, the fact that I was having to try and find these different characters on stage and and, and get into their their mindset and and really get into the psychology of, of each character and be able to perform that night after night um, live in front of an audience without dropping lines and stuff like that. It's sort of like uh, uh, it does take its toll, uh-huh. you know. It's especially if you if you if you if you, if you can if you kind of sensitive, you know. Yeah. It, it take, takes its toll. It's um, you know, a lot of people think that acting's really easy. You just sort of like learn the lines, speak the lines, and 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 that's it. Well, no, nah, it's not. And a lot more goes into it. There's a, you know, there's you know, because you you're you you you're um, at your most vulnerable when you're on stage or when you're in front of those cameras because you you literally you're literally exposing your soul. You know, it's 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 um it's, it's difficult to do. Yeah. So, um, you know that that that's why that's why I got a lot of respect for these people. You know, it's um and I think it's probably one of the reasons that you know I. I I've, I've kind of done what I've done over the years with with interviews and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But to to get back to, it, I think um, Stephen Amell and others have made it very clear that he will not be continuing as the Spectre um, beyond whatever the conclusion of the Arrowverse thing is next week, uh, because he's moving on to other projects as part of his decompression. And so, one of the questions I had is that. They brought in the Spectre, so the the transition for Crisis, and if Oliver is only the Spectre for Crisis, and Stephen Amell is not continuing with that character because he needs to move on and do some other things now, they can't put that genie back in the bottle. Spectre is out, which means fans uh, fans like me are going to be expecting a third incarnation now. Mm, It'll happen. It'll be interesting to see who to find to do it as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, or you know, Stephen Stephen Amell is 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 moving on to a was it Code Eight? Code Eight, and he's also moving on to a um, a, a wrestling show. Oh, that right. was yeah. He's, he's not a not a WWE wrestling show, but a a a, a scripted show about wrestling. Oh, that'd be in which interesting. He plays one of the wrestlers. Yeah, that that that'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I'd seen I'd seen some of his work prior to Arrow um, because um, he, he he played a he played a recurring role in 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 the uh, Canadian show Heartland. Uh-huh. Where he was, he, was okay. um, he, he owned he owned horses in it, and and um, you know, uh, but um, but you know, so Arrow really it was the first thing I seen him. It was the first big action thing I seen him in, and uh, you know, he's he's done done a really good job of it over the years. He has, you know? he has, and, yeah, but, yeah. And, and so they are. I mean, um, you know, getting back onto the uh, onto the crisis storing line, is there any is there anything you was particularly unhappy with about it? You know, the way the way it was done because I I, I felt that the uh, the final part with the with the legends was kind of weak. I think they probably could have ended it in episode four. They could have ended it. I I think it was it was oddly rushed. I mean, it, they were. They only had five episodes, and I have to say that if the five episodes we watched—I've never, I've never read *Canon Crisis*—and if the five episodes we've watched are the streamlined version of that storyline, I'm not going to read *Crisis* um, because I have a feeling the stream—I have a feeling the *Canon* version of that storyline would just upset me um, because the, the streamlined version was convoluted as it was, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of overly convoluted storylines. 
Well, we, we uh, of course we've seen the after effects of it in the um, in in the various different shows now. Um, you know, Batwoman suddenly found her sister at the end of the episode. Yeah, because her sister is one of the spares from another universe. Because now they have this in, in all the shows they've introduced this concept of orphans, as Kara has dubbed them, of uh, basically doppelgangers from now dead universes that are mm-hmm. just sort of without homes just for for various reasons survived the process and when their planets didn't and, and so me. they've got just a slew of they basically got a subset of the population mm-hmm. of the now composite earth who are homeless and universeless and and if the version of beth that we got at the end of batwoman is anything to go by She's not even psychologically aware of what's happened. Uh-huh. She was she was operating like everything was just fine, and suddenly, suddenly, every, suddenly the world went weird around her, not the other way around. So that's going to be interesting. That that, that uh-huh. is going to be interesting. I mean, to be honest, I think Crisis is actually uh, it's actually helped Batwoman out quite a bit in terms yes. of storyline. Yes. And um, yeah. things to go at. Um, not like not that the series was floundering. Uh, no, but it's, this is a, this is an improvement. And you saw that the article where Batwoman comes out with the articles by uh, Cara Danvers. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a mini crossover that I really appreciated. And um, you know that's going to be that's going to be fun. And it's going to be interesting to see if they tie Cara because you saw at the end of Crisis that um, Kate hangs out with Kara and um, Alex now. So it's going to be interesting to see if Kara and Alex get tied into into Alice's resentment of of surrogate sisters and foster sisters and and people supplanting mm. her. Yeah, gonna... I mean it actually opens the doors for a few few mini crossovers where you know. A bit like how how the cross whole, whole crossover thing started, where um, when when we got the Flash, um, they they introduced Barry Young in in, in the first season oh, yeah. of Arrow, yeah, yeah. and then, yeah. then 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 they did the Flash the following year, um, yeah. which was set six months after that uh, episode. Now they could, they could realistically just have you know ha- have some of the characters cross pollinate sort of thing without having to do a huge crossover event, you know, and and. And I'd be happy with that because, let's face it, we've got other shows coming up as well. I mean, Stargirl and um, yeah. You know. Here's the thing: there's a uh, there's a subset of the viewership, and I'm one of them, who were always watching these shows as a giant crossover. The fact that the fact that these shows are being maintained separately with separate narratives is on the CW. Um, fans like me don't care. I've always been watching a giant crossover. I've always been watching Justice League Unlimited in live action. The fact that the shows were never officially that is neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned. Um, I have been largely tolerating the shows as separate narratives for a couple of years now. They're not particularly interesting individual narratives Mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, You know, and that's just subjectively where I am. With the exception of Black Lightning and Legends, I'm finding the individual narratives on these shows rather tedious at this point. Yeah, I mean, um, I can I can agree with that. I mean, I think Arrow this year has been a huge improvement over what it's it has been. It's been an improvement, been. but it, that's because the final season was tied into the crossover, mm-hmm. not because the individual narrative was particularly viable anymore. The, the case in point was the Canaries' backdoor pilot. Um, I appreciated the performances. I appreciated the world building. I appreciated the, the look of it. But by the time they got to, by the time they got finished setting up that narrative, I was yawning. That is not a narrative mm-hmm. I care about. 
Yeah, um, I think I think a big part of it though is you you kind of knew it was coming. You kind of seen it all coming. Um, whereas yeah. if it was a good narrative, um, well, not not necessarily. If it was a narrative that we'd not seen before, we wouldn't have been yawning. But we yeah. kind, we kind of seen this bef- before. We kind of anticipated it, you know. Um, and and think the I think the CW in in the facts and uh, uh, you know and, and this is this is to, this is to do with a lot of shows and a lot of movies. I think they're their own worst enemy in terms of uh, getting so much information out there about the shows to the press and the internet. That uh, doesn't because... help, and, and it just doesn't help also that the CW is recycling tropes. I mean, the way they've set up that pilot, we've got she doesn't know, he knows, he doesn't know, she knows, and we've got two levels of dramatic irony mm-hmm. when one level of dramatic irony is more than enough. And it's all just, it's just completely CW. And I, I'm running out of steam with the CW tropes anyway, and the only reason I'm still watching a lot of these shows is because I'd already committed to them. I mean, and point of fact, if it hadn't been for Crisis refreshing several of them the way they have, I'd have probably dumped these shows last year, most mm-hmm. of them, um, because the, the narratives apart from Crisis were just, I'm, I'm over it. I'm over what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Crisis is the refresh I needed to continue to bother with these narratives at the individual level. I mean, I um, I like how it's worked out for Supergirl. Um, yes. Anyway, you know, we got Matt Smoother now, who's um, Stinger Villain, and he's now running DEO, and he's Stinger Villain, yeah. and I'm kind yes. of loving it. <laughs> kind of like Although, given given that in the pre-crisis universe, Kara, one one of the individual questions I have is Kara won that Pulitzer for a a story that amounted to evil Lex Luthor is evil by Captain Obvious. Uh-huh. Now that he is ostensibly not evil. Does she still have the Pulitzer? Or is her post-crisis Pulitzer going to be earned because she exposes him? I mean, that's going to be an interesting question. And um, I also had fun kind of imagining Kara having to, in in adjusting to the post-crisis universe, she's got to go back and actually re-read and re-familiarize herself with articles that she ostensibly wrote that she doesn't remember writing Mm -hmm. in in the rebooted timeline. So she's got to re- she's got to reread and absorb her own work to such to an, to enough of an extent that she can actually discuss her own work um, with people and and not sound like she's reading it for the first time. So that's going to be interesting too. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, that what's also going to be interesting is um, is is Brainiac free now that he's sort of like had his inhibitors removed. Is he going to be oh, a good yes. guy or a bad guy? I think he's probably going to end like, up somewhere in, in, in the middle. <clears throat> yeah, because he's kind of gone to nets and he said, um, you know, I'm going to help you do what you, whatever it is you've got to do because I know that it's for, that it's for the betterment of humankind sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But is it? Yeah. You know, because... Uh, We're going to find out. Because he's got the consciousnesses of three, three different brainiacs in him now and... Um, I, I'm just wondering whether whether Megan Raff's uh, brainiac was maybe not necessarily completely above board. Yeah. Plus, and can I just say, constructive nepotism is a marvelous thing. The Raff siblings absolutely rocked that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the bottle episode. <laughs> I love that they the double entendre there because it was a bottle episode about mm-hmm. a bottle. So, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, the kind of funny thing is that, you know, in terms of um, Star Trek, which is probably a, a neat little segue, but we'll, we'll move on to Star Trek later. 
But in terms of Star Trek, a bottom episode used to be an episode that just completely took place on board the ship. Yeah. So they didn't have to uh, so they didn't have to use any other sets or go go to an away world or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you can understand them needing to do a bottle episode post-crisis because they probably have no money. <laughs> it's like no epic money now. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but yeah, the only part I didn't like was Lena. And I, I appreciated the fact that narratively they may feel the need to continue the her, her being angry arc. But I would have, I would have, I wouldn't have minded just at, the, at a subjective level having them do a complete reset. Because it just, it's starting to get tedious, but then, like I said, my my um, my threshold for the a lot of these storylines is really really low. Well, the only, the only reason she's still so angry is because Nets has given her her pre-crisis memories back. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that's yeah. you know the you know and it made sense for Nets to do that from from from. Um, from, from his, his own, standpoint, yeah. From his own vinginess, uh, sort of like uh, standpoint, you know. It's, yeah, it's, you know, it's what I would have done if I was an evil genius. Yeah, you know? and I'm actually hoping that in the long term, what Lena ends up doing is is realizing that her her damage, a lot of her damage, not only comes from being a Luther, but from choosing to be a Luther over taking her mother's name. And I'm hoping that one of the things that this re- results from that by the end of her arc, whenever it is, is that she repudiates the Luther name, takes a, a several million dollar severance package from the family and goes back to Ireland mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and explores her mother's side of the family and her mother's roots and, and in, in, a, in a nod to her getting healthy again and also in a meta nod to, um, to Katie McGrath's background. And she finds out that her mother was a wing old wisp. <laughs> they could do that, given, yeah. given the amalgamated Earth and the weirdness that got translated from however many Earths are now amalgamated. That could happen. Um, so, you know, knock yourselves out. Yeah, I was kind of joking there, but <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, the scary, the scary thing is, it could actually happen. It's just my, uh, my, my, uh, my knowledge of Irish mythology uh, is shockingly abysmal, which is mm. quite shocking, really, considering that uh, that that my father uh, was the only one out out of thirteen siblings to be born here in Manchester, and all his brothers and sisters, um, God rest them, because they're all dead, uh, oh. were born in Dublin. Mm, okay. Mm. Um, okay. So it, you know, it's um, it's some it's something that if, you know, if I had more time to read and stuff like that, I'd probably read up on a bit of Irish mythology and you know, you know, go into folklore and ha- have a look into it. So it's, um, you know, that that sort of stuff's always interested me, which is probably why I'm into superheroes and, yeah, and stuff yeah. I'm into. Um, so um, Crisis on Infinite Earths. If you just sort of mark it up out of ten, what would you give it? I would give it a. I'd probably give it about an 8 because I was a bit unhappy with that last episode I felt it was um, kind kind of rushed but also there wasn't really any need for um, for, for that final episode, it could have gone straight into, you know, the regular shows, I think they only just did that final episode to give the legends something to do yeah, yeah and it just, um, you know, I think after the um, after after Oliver's second death as um, as 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 um, Questor, Spectre, Spectre, I was thinking I was thinking Gene Roddenberry's universe there, Questor, <laughs> <laughs> um, was he, um, you know, 
it just it just made it would have made sense more narratively for me for them to have just gone back into the regular shows after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, moving on, um, should we move on to Doctor Who now and do Star Trek last? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, um, here's my take. Um, I'm still unhappy with Jodie Whittaker. I don't think she's uh, at all very doctorish. I think there's too much emphasis still on the the ensemble cast. Um, I think Yaz is being underutilized and not being used a great deal. And I think the most entertaining, you know, people in it are Graham and um, and and um, Ryan. Agreed. I also think that we're we're basically dealing with a repeat of last year, where on top of everything you just said, there is the fact that the the sci-fi plot lines are lackluster at best. And the historical plot lines have been the strongest. I think the I think the storylines have actually slightly improved this year. Uh, That's only really because bad. of the the introduction of the master, sadly. Yeah, I think I think that was part of it. But I also I enjoyed the uh, episode with uh with with Nick and Ates- Nick and Atesma last week. Oh, he was he was good. awesome, and Goran Vicinic Vicin- uh, absolutely crushed it. Mm-hmm. Um, Glenister rocked as uh, as Edison. Happened uh, two of them. The two of them just played off each other perfectly. I appreciate the fact that Glenister didn't try to do an American accent. Yeah. Um, because um, I've recently I've recently subscribed to BritBox um, on a thirty day free trial. I've heard they're good. I haven't had time because my, my 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 problem with BritBox is I'm afraid if I subscribe to that for any length, I'll just disappear down the rabbit hole. Mm, well, yeah, there's, there's lots of British stuff on there, but they've also got uh, pretty much all of classic Doctor Who on there. Um, ah, as in that, much, that, that was my problem. I didn't want to disappear down the rabbit hole. I was all, like, turn all, it on and I just... All the surviving episodes. And I was watching, I was watching the uh, Gunfighters, mm. and the accents are absolutely awful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, it sounds like uh, one, one of the cowboys in it has sort of like a Lancashire accent. And he's trying to do oh, an American God. accent. It sounds like somebody from 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 the Mancunian way trying to do an American accent. It just sounded oh, really cheesy. <laughs> so, and and also in 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 the uh, in the storyline, they've got this song recurring throughout it. It's so it's just really really cheesy. It's all like it's probably the worst classic Doctor Who episode ever watched. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm not saying something. Um, you know, I thought I thought some of the Colin Baker ones were were were, were bad, but you know, the, the, some of the Colin Baker ones are absolute classics in comparison to that one. Oh, wow. Um But you know, um, back onto a modern day Doctor Who. I I enjoyed the uh, Nick and the Tesla one. I thought uh, the guy that chose to play the master was brilliant. Yes, which, Sasha Dewan. She's he's excellent. Which I think, as you said, it's sort of strongly hinting towards the next Doctor being male and perhaps Asian or or black or whatever. Yeah, because they seem to they seem to have, they seem to have just settled onto this pattern of treating the Master as the um, canary in the demo coal mine. Mm-hmm. They'll whatever it is, they'll test it on the Master first, and if it works, then they'll try it on the Doctor. Because they they gender flipped the Master first, and now it appears that they've ethno flipped the Master. Mm. You know, so, I, do you know what I'd be inclined to do? What? Now? Uh, introduce Rani, but gender flip her as well as ethno flip her. <laughs> so, so Rani's a black guy. <laughs> or, that or, that uh, could actually work. Or, I, what, whatever they do, I, I want Patterson Joseph to get his shot as the doctor. 
at some point because I've wanted Patterson Joseph as the doctor since I saw him as the, the Marquis of Carabas in Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere. Mm. So he'd be a great doctor. You know, he would. He'd also, he's also the kind of actor that would also be a great master. He's, be uh, either way, I'd be happy either way. But I hope he goes. For, I hope he ends up with the doctor eventually. But what 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 what's troubling me about Jodie's doctor is there's absolutely no darkness to her whatsoever. Well, no, uh, the problem with her is she's kind of bland. She's um, and she's sort of and she's bland the way that um, Peter Davison's doctor was bland. Peter Davison didn't really have a doctorish personality either. He got by on the um, the otherworldliness of his plots, his mm-hmm. episode plots. Um, but Davison's doctor was fairly straightforward as well. And I think we just I think we just prefer the more eccentric variations. I, I think you're probably right there with Peter Davison. I mean, you know, to be honest, I wasn't a big, I wasn't a huge fan of Peter Davison's Doctor right out of the gate. But the reason for that was because when Peter Davison got the role of the Doctor, he was an established actor on British television. I'd seen him so much as Tristan so Farrow. It, so, so it was hard. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I had the same problem so, because I, I had watched All Creatures Great and Small too and loved it. And so it was hard to separate him I, and go, I okay, could, now, he's the doctor. now he's the Doctor. I couldn't make the disconnect. No. Um, Whereas with Jodie Whittaker, I've not really watched any of her stuff prior to this. I think the only thing I watched of her in it was Attack the Block and that Black Books thing. And I didn't particularly rate her performance in it either, if I'm perfectly uh, honest. Um, I, I just don't rate her as an actor. I don't think she's that good at all, you know? Uh, um, if I was casting a female doctor, I would have gone with somebody um, with, with a bit more of an edge to the personality. Um, you know, like for example, the uh, the lady that played Mrs. Coulter in 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 the um, recent uh, His Dark Material series, uh, Ruth Ruth uh, Wilson. Ruth Bradley, yeah. Ruth Wilson. Oh, Ruth Wilson. No, yeah. Ruth Bradley was separate. No, no, Ruth Wilson. You're right. Yeah. That was the. It's thinking of something else. Anyway. But you know, it's um. I think as far as the storylines this year, I think I think they have picked up a little bit over. over they have a teensy bit, a, a teensy bit, but it's still not enough. Um, I mean, I don't know what it's doing ratings wise. Um, you know, I'm not I've not really been following that because it's sort of like um, it's it's kind of misleading when they report the overnights anyway because the the they usually you usually have to take in you know how well it's streaming into account as well. Uh-huh. And the overnights don't really take that into account. And um, you know, to to be honest, it's um, I'm I'm still not particularly impressed with Chibnall's era. Uh, no, um, no. So you know, it's um, the, the 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 good the upside of it is is may, maybe we only have to put up with him for another year. <laughs> yeah. So um, and 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 the doctor um for another year, you know, I don't know. Because the, the the question I have is they've. They've established her fam to such an extent that I don't think they can handle com- companion departures the same way during her era. I don't think they can break up that group. Yeah, she's going to be heartbroken. I mean, I don't think you can actually do an episode. I don't think you can do storyline like the Degney Assassin with uh, Joe Wickers' doctor. No, um, no. You could with Tom Bake. You could do that with Matt Smith. You could have done that with uh, David Tennant, where you had an episode of them going off on their own. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, like for, for example, the uh, runaway bride. You know, we say yes. to her at the end, you know, I need someone there to stop me from yeah. going too far. Yeah. You know, and and that's that that was that was a pur- that was a purpose of his companions. His companions were served to do do purpose. They were there to stop him from going too far, 
and to help him sort of like retain um, a human perspective on yeah, on, and also to fill out paperwork because it was a linear linear activity that he was literally incapable of um, even coping with. Mm. Well, yeah. also, 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 the companions were our eyes into the doctor's world. Yes, you know, yeah, you know, they they were there to ask the doctor questions and stuff like that. And I think we've lost that in recent years. We have because they've become too cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. We need it. We need a historical companion. They, they have got some great historical companions in Big Finish. They've got um, they've got my favorite Big Finish companion, Aramem, the uncrowned Egyptian pharaoh who decided she was better off traveling with the Doctor. Then they've got um, the Eighth Doctor, pre Time War, actually traveled very briefly with Mary Shelley. Mm-hmm. And, I've, and I've got the first full adventure of that. I'm, I'm waiting for the other two to go on sale. Mary Shelley was played by Julie Cox of sci-fi Dune fame. She was Princess Irulan, and she absolutely crushes it. And they went Hinchcliffe on steroids and mm-hmm. just went uber gothic. And uh, she's she's wonderful. And they only they only have three full adventures with her because th- that was all they could get away with before they have to put her back in the timeline so she can go off and be Mary Shelley and write Frankenstein because this is pre Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it's it's really lovely if they if they would do something like Aramem or or Mary Shelley or just, just or. Give it, give us Ada Lovelace as a companion briefly. That would be awesome. Um, Big Finish also did an, an Ada Lovelace storyline with the Fourth Doctor, uh, which is which was um, frankly better than what we got on the show. As entertaining as Ada was on the show, Big Finish did a better job of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I really wish that uh, they would take a page from that particular page from the Big Finish playbook. Yeah, so we could use some some more historical companions. I mean, I I've got a feeling that you know if the if if the ratings get any worse for Doctor Who, they might end up just taking off the air and resting it for a while. And I think they probably they probably, probably need, need to, to do that. And the fact that we're saying that as lifelong fans should tell you, the audience everything they need to know. You know, it's, um, because when it came back, it had mainstream appeal. Yes. And um, the the genius of what um, Russell T Davis did. Like him on over him because I know that there's a lot of Doctor Who fans that weren't particularly overwrought with what he did uh, yeah. to revive it. Uh, yeah. Like him on over him, he actually bought Doctor Who back and he bought it back as a mainstream show that, yes, that everyone could enjoy. Mm-hmm. And you know, when Moffat took over, it lost quite a lot of that mainstream audience. Um, and it seems to me that the mainstream audience for it has been diminishing with each with each passing incarnation. Even because the actor, the actor hasn't had the appeal that David Tennant had, yeah. um, or, or the writings maybe gotten too sophisticated, um, or as the case maybe with this one, maybe too simplistic. Yeah, they need to find the middle ground because because Stephen Moffat, I'll agree. I started out as a Moffat girl, but as I saw what he did with the arcs, if you could even call them that. He got a little too clever for his own good and forgot and forgot the flow of his own storyline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just it it doesn't work. He he's he he's a better writer for standalone storytelling. Yeah, or or, or, or short story arcs. You know, as in sort of like three episode story arcs. He, he you know he could do or two episode story arcs. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I forget the name of the writer, uh, Toby Whithouse. I'd love to see Toby Whithouse show run Doctor. He'd be good. He'd be good. You know, he yeah. he'd be really good. 
you know, and um, and and I think I think Toby Whithouse might actually probably take a Hinchcliff approach to that too. So we're getting a lot of that gothic storylines and stuff like that. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of which, I've actually just uh, I've just pre-ordered um, Doctor Who the Collection, the Blu-ray set, season fourteen. Awesome. Which is um which is Tom Baker's third season as a Doctor, I think, and it was the one where they introduced Leela. Yes. You know, so and there's a lot of good stories in that. You you had the Fangons of the Talons of Wan Chiang, you had the Robots of Death, you had uh, um oh god, you had the Hand of Fear. Yes. You know, you know, all all classics are like uh, horror episodes. Remember the Hand of Fear when I was watching it was about six years old when it came on and just seeing this stone hand moving around in a lunchbox, thought, mm, you know, and I just thought, I just thought, Mum, is that what I'm having for school dinner on uh, on Monday? You know. Yeah, there's that, and there's also the fact that um, the the costume that Judith Parrish wore for the femme version of Eldred remains to this day one of the most beautiful sci-fi costumes I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. They really, they really captured female crystalline creature. She was, she was perfection, and I've, I've never seen a costume lovelier than that in terms of conveying. Um, an, um, an ethereal, solid creature. And and the scary thing is, um, is that costume probably didn't cost half as much money as many of the costumes that they have now no. in these sci-fi shows. No. Um, I mean, I actually met the uh, costume designer um, from from Doctor Who, the lady that designed the um, the the uh, the stuff that Tom Baker wore when John Nathan Turner came on board, mm. and uh, I've got a signed picture of her concept drawing for Tom Baker's uh, costume mm. in that in that episode. I can't remember her surname. She's called June somebody or other. Um, but you know, I met her at a, at a convention uh, a number of years back when I used to do conventions. Um, but yeah, I mean, but, but as far as the, as far as the new series goes and Jodie Whittaker goes, I'm still sort of like um, I'm I'm still not being wowed by it. Um, no, I'm no. I'm just sticking with it at this point in hopes that I'll just get better. That, that's how that's how that's how I feel about the DC the CW DC shows. Mm-hmm. I'm just, just sort of they're they're treading water, and and Crisis I think has been the shot in the arm that they needed. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on. He came. He saw. He kicked some bald butt. He fought himself in Star Trek Nemesis, and then a few years later, he saved. He saved the Romulans, and um, and then retired from Starfleet. Oh, uh, you know, over the fact that they were no longer the humanitarian organization that he joined and wished to be a part of. No, which which makes me makes me think that part three of the prequel comic that's coming out next week is going to be a bit of a chore to get through. I think um, I think it's probably going to be Shakespearean tragedy. <laughs> I think I think you're probably right. Um, I mean, they've actually released um, something on CBS All Access, which um, a lot of people are clamoring to get a hold of, and it's kind of like um, a small prequel movie, a 15 minute prequel movie, uh, to Picard, set um, 14 years in the past um, during the um, invasion dur- during the Mars attack from from the mm-hmm. Sith. Okay. It's, and it's all told from the point of view of a um, of, of a bunch of skew kids watching events unfold on on, on television. Oh wow! Okay. So um, I'm I'm sort of like um, I'm I'm wanting to see that myself, uh, but I think it's on CBS on access. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I may actually have to wait wait um, for yeah mm-hmm. yeah. 
But I, uh, I'm just going to say say what I said this afternoon to uh, Ben Ben, who was speaking to because, as you know, uh, Ben Benjamin Cassidy, who's a new rider for Sci-Fi Pulse, he's done a done a few really good ride ups of Drakinger and um, um, and and um, and this and that, and he he did a uh, his top seven uh, episodes of Star Trek: Next Generation, and basically the way he justified doing it is he picked one episode from each season. Uh, that that was Picard centric, um, and the 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 great great thing about it is uh, it got traction on Facebook and everywhere else to put it, and people would say suggesting this episode and that episode, and uh, I suggested you know we could have had Tapestry, which would have been a great episode to have. Yes, um, I like that one too. We also could have had Darmok, which is, would yes, be another great that episode. Was, that was an awesome, an awesome one. You know, they they came to grips with with the fact that they had Patrick Stewart and periodically threw him some really awesome bones. Yeah, there's, there's that, but I thought, you know, I thought they, 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 they actually, uh, they were actually a lot more respectful of the continuity than they yeah. were with a uh, discovery. Um, meaning, you know, discovery is such a, such a mix up in terms of, uh, what actually happened because we don't really know what actually happened because like, um, as we know, Brian Funger left. Yes. And it was his idea to change the Klingons, apparently, and uh, yeah. and this and that. But we also had uh, the, the the head of CBS at the time, um, forget his name, was, was sort of like uh, allegedly strong-arming them and, and, and demanding that stuff Moonves, be changed. Moonves, Les Moonves, but he's gone now, yeah. yeah. You know, Les Moonves, who was the guy that was responsible for cancelling Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> yes. Um, but he's sort of like... Um, you know, it's to me. It felt like the most Star Trek show that I've seen since Enterprise. Yes, yes. Um, and you know, I really enjoyed it to a point where I've actually watched it about three times, mm. and I've not watched anything three times. You know, since when do you have time to watch anything three times now? In, yeah, nowadays, yeah. I, I know. So, congratulations. I, I watched uh, Picard three times because I, I just became so invested in the um, you know in finding all the Easter eggs and, and this and that and um, and, and um, I was discussing it this afternoon with uh, with Ben and he's wanting to do um, an article um, you know basically talking about the fact that the they, they seem to have embraced the uh, the TNG continuity before it was changed by. You know, by by the uh, by by the movies, by by the yeah. Star Trek movies in two thousand nine. You know, he says it seems to be sort of like uh, it, it seems to him that they're just treating the movies in two thousand nine as an Elseworlds and and disregarding which is it. which is how you have to do it. Which is which is all the more fascinating considering it's basically the same writing team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and it's also the same writing team that works on um, on on, um, on 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 Discovery. But yes. I also think the fact that I think the fact is, I mean, that Kristen Byers, who's one of the writers on it, um, she was bought into um, I think she was bought into Star Trek Discovery fairly late on. Yes. And she was bought in as a Trek continuity expert. Yes. So and we can we, we can thank her for Pike basically. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and you know she's done a great job at the comics as well. Um, but I think you're right. I think the uh, I think the next issue of Star Trek Picard, which comes out on the 29th, which is next Wednesday. Um, yeah. it will be out by the time this come, goes out um, is going to be heartbreaking I mean I'm not sure if that's, that's going to be the last issue or if it's going to be it the is, it issue. is, it's a three episode, it's a three issue prequel comic and I, I think we're losing Geordi because yeah. they talked about they talked about the fact that um, the synths attacked 
the, the utopia Peninsula shipyard and destroyed and destroyed the um, the rescue fleet. And I think what happened is once they destroyed the rescue fleet, Picard could only rescue the Romulans that could fit on his ship because he had the only functioning ship at that point. Yeah. And and I think that Jordy, because he was the one heading up the program to build the rescue fleet, he, I think he's going to be killed in that attack. Yeah, I mean, and, I think that I think it kind of cheapens it by killing him in the comic. I'd rather see him die in the the TV show. I would too, and I'm I'm really sorry about that. It's bad enough that they're going to kill him, but it, it's not looking good. Um, because they're because here's the thing. Here's here's what I think we're looking at. They're setting up Shakespearean tragedy, in part on the meta level because they've got Patrick Stewart, and he his his creative default is the Shakespearean canon, mm-hmm. and I think what they're setting up apart from a Star Trek series, I think what they're setting up is an exploration of what the aftermath of Shakespearean tragedy looks like. Because when you you look at the Shakespearean tragedies, you never see what happens to the characters after the end of the plays. Also, the shades of of Brexit and Trump in it as well. Um, Yes. You know, when when, when Picard says that, um, I left the Federation because it was no longer the Federation I joined, it withdrew. Yeah. Now, with Trump coming to power, you know, America's withdrawing sort of thing. Yes. Also, I think think in a distant sort of way, they're setting up season three of Discovery because when they get to season three of Discovery, they're going to find out that the future Federation is much smaller and much less powerful than it used to be. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think I think Picard is the beginning of whatever that becomes. Yeah, and the the, the and the interesting dichotomy of that is uh, Star Trek Discovery when it ended, the Federation was in early days. Yes. So it wasn't it wasn't that powerful, to no. be honest. No. So it, as, far, as far as the crew's concerned in terms of Star Trek Discovery, they're going to find out that uh, they're going to find it find that nothing really has changed. Mm, you know, true. you know, so they they'll probably do all right sort of thing. Whereas I think if someone like um, a Picard in his prime went went to the twenty ninth century and found that the Federation was completely diminished, he'd, he'd, he'd be, be having be a breakdown. Yeah. He'd have a breakdown. He'd struggle. Yeah. Um, but. I really, I really enjoyed the first episode. Um, I loved it. I loved the dog being called number one. Oh, that was brilliant! And I also, um, for those who don't know, Sir Patrick in in his private life has taken to um, animal welfare, animal welfare stuff, and he's taken to championing pit bulls. Mm-hmm. And so he he has been fostering pit bulls and championing pit bulls, and he insisted um, when they decided that he have a dog that uh, number one be a pit bull. Yeah. So that's that's a, that's a meta nod to Patrick Stewart. Well, the, you know, the sad thing is, is pit, bull, pit bulls are very misunderstood because they're, they're kind of one of these dogs that have been sort of like massively abused over the years. Yes, um, and, yes. Bred as, and bred as fighting dogs when they're not really fighting dogs. Um, no, they're actually very sweet. They're yeah. very sweet. And and they've got you know they've got like little heart shaped faces. Yes, you know. <laughs> um, although they they love chasing cats, which um, that's that's one of the habits that I don't like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know I love that. Um, I also I thought the uh, the choice of actors to play the two Romulans um, were, was really good. Yes, yes, I I, I love them, and I, I um and. For those who haven't, you really need to read the pre- the prequel comic because you get backstory on those two Romulans. They're not just random Romulans helping him 
yeah. on the, at the vineyard, there, there's a specific story there. Yeah, one of them was a member of the Tal Shiar. They both were. They yeah. both were. And they, they fell in love, which is not something that the Tal Shiar are supposed to do. And so they're, they're sort of renegade um, ex-spies mm-hmm. hiding out on, on this colony, and it goes pear-shaped, very, very pear-shaped. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see how they'd be used in the um, in the series as it moves forward. You know, would they yes. become part of Picard's crew, or would they stay behind and run the vineyard? Yeah, because whatever happens, I I need them to not end up dead in the pool of their own blood. Mm-hmm. I I need I need them to have a happy ending because these are these two characters are set up as characters that need to have a happy ending. And, and or at least not an overtly tragic one. Let's put it that way. I also I, I enjoyed the fact that we uh, that we had uh, Bruce uh, Maddox Bruce Maddox. Maddox used in it. Um, yes. You know, a, a definite throwback to um, to to the, to the episode where Date is put on trial. Measure of a man. And um, it's it's a remarkable arc for his character, considering where he started in Measure of a Man. So, and I hope that we get that same actor back. And just and because he's obviously gone on, he's gone on the lamb. If he, if he uh, comes back, you know, um, he might might actually be dead. Oh, know. that's true. You know, not the actor, but they might actually just oh, kill true. character off. You know, and yeah. you know, this sort of like um, save save on 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 the on on on, on the backstory or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's it was interesting to know that uh, Dodge, um you know, aside from being a kick-ass android and doing all the cool stuff that Data could do, only dialed up to freaking an Evan. You know, that, that combat scene where she just sort of like, uh, you know, leaps up about 50 stairs to take on the Romulan at the end. That was unreal. That was, just that was brilliant. brilliant. That was brilliant. Um, and, and the scene where she's told to focus and find Picard and she, she used, you know, she, she's accessing the computers at the same speed that Data would. Yeah, and she's and I love that piece of exposition where he's like, "Oh my God, you need a you need a you need a, a security code to track me, and you don't have it. So obviously mm-hmm. something is going on here." Yeah. I mean, you know, it's all, there's, there's all that. Um, but what I thought what was quite interesting is that she didn't seem to be aware that she was an android. Um, no, know, and, and neither neither is the other one. I think the other one is aware. Oh. I think the other one is slightly aware because um, Dodge didn't even know that she had a twin sister. Mm, okay. Um, that that's kind of how I read it. Anyway, I'm not sure oh. if I'm right or not, but I, I kind of kind of interpreted it as as Dodge didn't really know that she had a twin sister mm. uh, because she didn't mention the fact that she had a twin sister or you know or anything like that in her in in her speak in her talk with with Picard or or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and also, I get the impression that her twin sister is further along with her career, as in she's yes, been to the Data yeah. Institute, because she's actually working at the, the Romulan Reclamation thing. Yeah, so, it's, like, it's like she's been doing that for a bit. So, yeah. so I, think, I think she's a bit more aware uh, that, that she's different, you know. Yeah, but, she may not specifically know how, but she knows something's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's um it's gonna be um it's gonna be interesting to see how it shakes up next week. Um and I'm looking forward to it. But what what I what got me is that the Romingans have, have commandeered a Borg ship. Yes. Yes and, they have. And that's their, that's their new planet. <laughs> yeah, well use what you have. Yeah. It's um it's it was just um it was a bit jarring when I seen that and thought mm, well how did they get a Borg ship did they do some sort of deal with Hugh or something well he's going to be a character later in the season so they may have yeah 
that's what that's why I brought that up because I knew yeah. he was going to be a character late on in the season. Um, but it's um, you know I'm, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to seeing how it shakes up next week and meeting the other characters, you know, yes. and and, yeah. and seeing seeing Riker and Troy again and yes, and, that's going to be cool. You know, that's going to be very cool. And a uh, bit of news that you shared last night. Oh, pardon me, which I already knew about was uh, that they, they've they've invited uh, Whoopi Goldberg back for season two. Yes. So she's going to be doing season two. So we get some Guinan, which is yes. going to be really uh, her perspective. Her, her perspective on all of this will be very good. Yeah, I mean, you know, Guinan was you know such a good character in in, in the TNG series. Uh, yes. Yeah. Know, in that she was so mysterious, and I love the fact that she knew Q. Yes. You know, and stuff like that. Um, so I think they've got to bring Q back. Yes. Yeah. They've got to bring Q back for one thing, and maybe, may, you know, maybe an aged up Q. Yes. You know? But there's, but, there's, been, he's, he's suffered some sort of disease that affects Qs and. Yeah. Something. Well, maybe just age him up for the sake of it, but age him up in 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 a very egotistical way, like Q would, like a. Uh, you know, like like Chow and Heston had the uh, long beard and, and yes, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, when when yeah. he was playing, when play, when he was playing biblical characters, just do yes. that, but have Q in white robes, aged up, yes, <laughs> and, yeah. and looking very sort of like um, like sort of like nine fifties godlike. Yes, that, that would do. That, that would that's, what, that's what they need to do. <laughs> um. But I'm just wondering if this right these writers would actually bring Q back with them being such a sort of like a whimsical sort of like comedian. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think we're gonna be seeing a lot of whimsy. This is not striking mm. me as that kind of storyline. Mm. But may, maybe in next maybe in the next series, you never know. Maybe in the next series, yeah. But you know, I'm kind of I, I'm just I'm just so like uh, I'm so made up that you know that that they're doing something on this level that feels like Star Trek again. Yes, yeah. You know, because God, Lord knows, we've been starved of of um, of, of any sort of like true Star Trek since since yes, the yeah. Enterprise. I mean, I'd argue we've been starved of any proper Star Trek since Deep Space Nine. To be honest, no, we haven't. Yeah. and even that one, and that even that one wasn't as, as Star Trek as Next Gen. So it still had the it still had the element of Shakespearean tragedy to it. So, it did, and it um, did have some of the same crossover characters, and it, you know, stuff like that. And, and it had, it had, you know, trials and tribulations, and it brought back some of the old um, classic uh, Klingon characters played by the original Klingon actors, and that kind of thing. And it had your way to your stage actors as well, you know, like um, you know, you had uh, Avery Brooks, you had Rene Abajanois, uh, God bless yes, his soul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you you had a Nana visitor who was sort of like a classically trained actor. Yes, a um, lot of them were. A lot of them, a lot of them had to be because yeah. that was not that was not method actor material. Yeah, and it kind of went it went downhill with Star Trek Voyager because the only yeah. the only method, the only classical trained actor you had in Voyager really was the was the guy that played EMH. Yes, the rest of them yeah. were sort of like traditional sort of like Hollywood sort of like types and yeah, and they and they tried to apply method acting to it, and that was not method acting material. Just mm. it, it never was and never can be. Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue that one of the reasons Picard is so strong, apart from the fact that we know that Sir Patrick is a Shakespearean actor, is because Shakespeare, he is a Shakespearean actor. You can't pull off the kind of material that this first season is obviously going to be unless you've got someone who understands Shakespearean tragedy. And that's obviously what this is. Well, I'm, I'm hoping he's able to do it since he's 89. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, or, or at least I'm, I'm hoping for three seasons, beginning, middle, end. Yeah, you yeah, know. I'd, I'd be happy with that. Just so long as whatever came after it was equally as Star Trek. Yeah, because that's the thing. Once, once, once they establish this standard, if they don't maintain this standard, the fans are gonna are gonna are gonna you know burn them in effigy. And that's at the PR level. That's the double-edged sword that they're dealing with now. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's where at the PR level, that's where um, two thousand nine Star Trek's fucked up for me. <clears throat> yeah, I. I had a higher I had a higher threshold for it to begin with, but discovery was an improvement, and this is even better. Yeah, this is a this is good. I mean, to be honest, as a standalone movie, I enjoyed the two thousand nine version of Star Trek. Hated Into Darkness and thought Beyond was okay. But yeah. much like you say, I, I had to engage those as Elseworlds versions of yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, because... I've, I've I've reached I've reached the point where the only way to watch. Any kind of remake, any kind of reimagining of any of these franchises is basically to treat them as Elseworlds. If I try to deal with them relative to the canon material at all, and that's any franchise, not just Star Trek, not just Star Wars, but any franchise, I basically can't do it. I have to separate them off. I have to wall them off. And... The problem I had with the original 2009 in particular is that I, I couldn't originally wall them off. I hadn't figured out how to do that yet. I have to wall them off now because I can't deal with the fact that, that in the movies they killed off Amanda and destroyed Vulcan. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell? That's that's like... Yeah, well, yeah. Vulcan will not be destroyed in Picard because obviously in, in Picard that that's not happened. No, it's not like no. a, That's set in a universe where where the uh, Romulan Solar event happened, whereas yeah. the um, whole reason that Vulcan went went uh, missing was because uh, the Romulan Solar event still happened, but Spock tried to stop it. And, yeah. And succeeded in part. But, yeah. You know, um, but the, the repercussions of that was Nero out of revenge because uh, his part of the Romulan, Romulan planet was destroyed or whatever. Uh, yeah. He took out Vulcan. You yeah. Know, sort of like... Uh, and and also, you know, Nero was a very sort of like um, he was he was very much a straw man of a villain. Yeah, you know, he was. He was, he was just sort of there. Yeah, it's sort of like um, that. That's that's something that seems to be happening with a lot of villains at the moment. That they're sort of there. They've got no weight to them. No, there's no heft to them. No. You know, unlike Q. I mean, Q's got quite a bit of gravitas to him. Um, you know, the the original Khan had gravitas to him. Yes. And that was all down to the actor that they chose to play the character. Yeah, they, it's it's all writing. the acting. If you don't get the right actors, none of this works. None of it. And it's not mm-hmm. just Star Trek, but none of these franchises work. I mean, you know, Christopher Lloyd was uh, wonderful as Klingon in um, Star Trek Three. Yes, but, absolutely. But even even that, by comparison to Khan, was a bit of, to Khan was a bit of a straw man villain. Yes, but a straw man villain made made into a made into a, a ready meal because because of the weight of Christopher Lloyd's performance. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of like uh, like that. I mean, what what would you like to see going forward on on Picard? I mean, you know, the, 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 we can speculate as to you know what what's going to happen to some 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 extent based on the fact that we read this comic and and stuff. But. Yeah, given given the fact that they went to the trouble of giving the two Romulans a backstory, I'm hoping we see more of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I hope that they don't end up dead in a pool of their own blood because I've in, given even in the brief the brief 
exposure we've had to them have gotten attached. So I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be synth walls. I think a lot of synths are just gonna suddenly be activated and it's just gonna be a huge synth wall. It's yeah, gonna be I think, kind I think, of like, I think there's gonna be a, that Blade Runner aspect to yeah, it. It's yeah. gonna be kind of like the eugenics wars part two. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, oh, you know, that, that sort of level of thing because um, we never actually seen the eugenics wars played out. No. But there's actually a very, very good book trilogy uh, by Greg Cotts, which actually deals with the eugenics war. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that, that that's actually worth picking up if you um, if you ever stuck something to read that's actually working with, with Trex Cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, basically the, the first book deals with um, how Khan um, survived on City Alpha 5 with, with, the, with, with the rest of the crew. Um, and the, the second one, um, no, the first one's sort of basically how Khan came to power in 1990s, sort of thing, and, and um, what he did, and uh, Gary Seven's in it as well. The second one is set after Space Seed and deals with how they survived on City Alpha 5. And the third one is kind of like post City Alpha 5, where Kirk and Spock have actually gone to another planet full of, uh, full, full of sort of like uh, augments. Uh-huh. And um, and 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 they're they're sort of like uh, trying to do diplomatic mission, but they're having flashbacks to 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 what happened with Khan. Oh, okay. I'm not quite sure. Okay. So like it's um it's it's been years since I read them, but you know they're, they're, it's a good series of books by Greg Cox that's really worth checking out if you if you're interested in that. Um, but I think we're going to have the Simphors. I think there's going to be something. Maybe something going on there because obviously you got Hugh, you got Hugh in there, and I got a feeling Hugh's probably going to be needing uh, a, a rebel- synth faction. A, a synth and, faction. We, and we're going to have seven of nine. She's coming in. Yep, seven of mine. Yeah, and she'll probably she'll probably end up with the more useful storyline that she had in, in, during all of Voyager. I think she's going to end up with a great storyline because the fact of the matter is, uh, she wouldn't have actually took the part on if it wasn't something substantial because she was offered a part in Nemesis and she turned it down because turned it, down. it wasn't yeah. servicing the character. Yeah. So I've got a feeling that she's going to have quite a substantial role uh, in it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's going to be interesting because uh, I think the I think the whole thing with Romulan thing is uh, insinuating that the Romulans are trying are studying Sims or looking to make some create some Sims. Yeah, and 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 stuff like that. So it's it's gonna be interesting. Go, you know, seeing what happens going forward, and uh, it'd be interesting to see if by the end of it, the Federation repeals this, you know, ban on synthetic yeah. beings. Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, and um, you know, that that's just a bit of my speculation. I'm not sure if you have any. That, mine is more or less in line with yours. I think we've gone about as far as we can with one episode and two, um, two prequel comics. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, um, so Star Trek Picard, if you haven't watched it already, it's um, on CBS All Access, um, but over here in the UK, it's now available. It's, on Amazon. On, it's now available on Amazon Prime. Um, but unfortunately, Amazon Prime's not picked up the uh, fifteen-minute prequel episode, um, oh. which is too bad. I think they really must, they really need to. Um, but that's that. Um, so, anything else you want to quickly cover before we go? No, I think we've covered it. Okay, well that's it for uh, this week. Uh, we'll be back um, probably some point in February with with another show uh, where we'll probably be talking about uh, some of the different shows um, that that are coming on because we've got Star Wars, Clone Wars coming back, 
Um, and I think Flash will probably be back by then as well, won't it? Yes, yeah. You know, so we'll maybe do a bit of Flash and uh, con- continue our coverage on, on Dot 2 and Star Trek Picard. But that's about all we've got time for this uh, this this time. We'll see you next time. So bye for now.